You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Auburn is not a place. It is a people. The loveliest village on the plains is more than just a collegiate sports venue, more than a university filled with historic buildings, and more than a quaint little southern town. Its worth lies within its people, those that call Auburn home, whether that be for a single day at a time or a lifetime. Much like our legendary Toomer's Oak Trees, our stories are the product of a firm foundation laid at the beginning of our Auburn story. These are the stories of the Auburn family. These are their roots. Welcome to episode six as we continue our journey in this series of exploring and sharing the stories of your Auburn family members. In this edition, I'll be speaking with Josh Dowdy. Now you might know Josh from Twitter, but you also might have read one of his books before. We're going to talk a little bit about those in this, but we're going to dive a lot into his actual Auburn roots, how they were developed, and where they've taken him since then. His story includes everything from getting married on the plains, his books that he's written, and yes, even an interesting story about a car in the Jordan-Hare Stadium ramp. That is a story I will let him tell in his own words. just want to welcome in Josh Dowdy, War Eagle, buddy. War Eagle, Kyle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for being willing to share your Auburn story, or as we call your Auburn roots here on this podcast series. It's uh, been a joy to do that. You're the sixth edition of this. And as I told you in pre-show here, you've got a long line of succession here, (laughs) some interesting stories. And each time I've been surprised, everyone's been able to one up the other in, in a certain context in, in terms of wowing me or telling me there's something new I didn't know uh, every single time. So you got a lot to live up to, Josh. Well, I'm accustomed to batting uh, later in the order than this. So uh, I will be the first in this series that some of your listeners have never heard of. But, you know, uh, I'll let you know my story. And I think it, it, it could be one that some Auburn folks can relate to. Yes, I think that's the cool thing about the Auburn story is that there's so much connective tissue between all the Auburn fans, stuff we can all relate to, but everybody's got those unique stories, those unique games, experiences, memories that they kind of enrich the Auburn story as a whole, but individually as well for you. And that's what I love about talking to individuals here on this series. So I want to just give you a question to start off with, and it's, it's a very general question and it may be difficult to answer, but why Auburn? Why did you pick this school, this fandom to be a part of? So why Auburn? There was never anywhere else really. Uh, Like a lot of Auburn folks, my dad went to Auburn. And so uh, Auburn was what I knew from a very young age. Um, I was thinking about this earlier when I was thinking about talking with you. I remembered that one of my earliest memories 
not one of my earliest Auburn football memories. One of my earliest memories, period, is from being at an Auburn football game, being oblivious to the game, being oblivious to everything, really, except Aubie. I was there for Aubie, and uh, I, I have a memory of him. It, this is the way I, I remember it anyway. I think he was on the cover of the Auburn Football Illustrated for that game. And he came up into the stands and was signing autographs. And so I was going to try to get all of his autograph on this football program. It didn't work out. And uh, for whatever reason, that was pretty devastating. And did Auburn <laughs> win or lose? I have no idea. I didn't get all of his autograph. But, uh, you know, so it was, it was always Auburn for me. Um, one other thing I'll go ahead and say uh, to that end, another uh, childhood memory that was a, a strange moment for me was when my dad and I were riding down to Birmingham for the 1986 Iron Bowl. And on the way to the game, on the interstate, on the way down to Birmingham, my dad says to me, and I I guess he was being genuine. I don't know if this was a psychological tactic, but my dad says, you know, we're probably going down here to get beat today. And he says, if you want to cheer for Alabama, you can. And <laughs> It was so way too late to give me that option. <laughs> I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard my dad say. Uh, there was nothing he could have said. There was nothing anyone could have said or done uh, to tempt me to any other side. I didn't care if we lost 100 to zip that day. I was an Auburn guy by then. And, uh, of course, you know, we get down there and uh, – Lawyer Tillman couldn't get off the field, and so he had to run a touchdown on the end of round, and Auburn wins 21-17, and uh, (laughs) that was a a foundational moment for me. That's a very interesting foundation there, that your dad was offering you an out in a a very interesting time in Auburn and Alabama's history. Um, how, how did that process in your, in your mind when you're, you, you've been born and bred to be an Auburn fan, but your dad's giving you this out and saying, hey, look, I couldn't blame you. I mean, I, couldn't, I can't fathom that. I didn't know what to make of it. I, it was that bizarre to me. And, you know, something you've caused me to think about just now that I've never really thought about when I thought about that episode. Uh, my dad was at the previous year's Iron Bowl. I was not. So my dad was at the 85 game uh, with the kick at the end. Uh, One time a kick did not go our way. And so maybe he was still feeling the hurt from that and thought he would give me the option to avoid that. But uh, so I I don't know. I haven't asked him about it in a long time. I should ask him, like, what were you thinking? But Fortunes have definitely changed in the Auburn and Alabama rivalry when it comes to the kicking game, whether it's field goals, punting, kickoffs kickoff returns field goal kick returns you know it just it seems to go Auburn's ways these days but Alabama they've had you know some moments where they can you know kind of look back on finally but uh thankfully uh most of that is in our corner these days here uh something else that you brought up there the what I call now the gateway drug for kids to Auburn fandom is Aubie um I've just you know I remember the same thing growing up loving the idea of Aubie. I used to be afraid of big mascots and things like that, but for some reason I was just never afraid of Aubie. And it's funny that you also say that he was your gateway drug in the hair and you, I guess you kind of looked up to him as a little bit of a hero as a kid. 
Sure, absolutely. And, you know, we probably don't give Phil Neal enough credit uh, for creating uh, the inspiration for Aubie or creating Aubie the way that he did. You know, I happened to see an interview, if you will, with Aubie on YouTube uh, a few years ago where uh, Aubie's uh, uh, publicist, if you will, uh, whoever was, was helping speak for him, uh, answered a question by saying, we don't think of Bobby as a mascot. He is more of a character. And, you know, I mean, you, you see any other mascot, it's, it's not just a subjective thing. There is a different quality about Bobby. And um, he uh, has maintained that uh, through generations now. It's really incredible. And so, uh, like you said, sure, every now and then a kid freaks out at Aubie probably means, you know, the kid needs a diet change or something, but, <laughs> or a diaper change, one or the other, but, you know, yeah, so I, um, I was very fortunate, uh, you know, even on a game day, uh, nowadays, uh, you gotta be sharp to, to catch Aubie if you, if you want to have an interaction with him, mm. and, uh, I've been able, uh, to get my daughter's uh, to get up and close and pictures with Aubie a couple of times. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things you, you feel like you can't make it happen. You know, it's like, you, you know, like you can't pick the seat for the home run to fall into, but sometimes it works out. And, uh, man, I love Aubie. Aubie is uh, won our hearts over from the moment that he appeared under Phil Neal's sketches and then came into real life and became a real tiger because I misspoke when I said he was a mascot. He's not a mascot. He's a real member of the Auburn family. He's a tiger. What was I talking about? <laughs> um, so I hope that the uh, minions of Aubie will not come after me. One of my daughters asked me something about, you know, whether Aubie has um, like muscular tissue or cotton. You know, she was working this out in her head and she said, well, he must have bones because of the way he's able to stand up and everything. But like, if we opened him up, would he be like a stuffed animal or would it be something else? And I, I think I just told her, hey, I don't know. That's, you know, that's one of Aubie's secrets. The mind of a child is a wondrous <laughs> thing. And uh, you've got a very astute child there that's already able to pro start processing th these things. It'll, it'll probably make them a more well-adjusted child down the road when they can start talking about the reality of Aubie and other people. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit more about kind of growing up as an Auburn fan. You, you know, we've talked a lot about football and some Iron Bowl memories. I think when we think of Auburn fandom, obviously football is king. It is, sure. that is the lifeblood of sports in the South and even more specifically at Auburn. But uh, was there a sporting event at Auburn or a program that you really connected to in your childhood other than football? Well, I have maybe a strange answer to that because definitely uh, something that I did not come to really understand until adulthood, because, you know, there's things that, that happen when you're a kid and and you understand it on some level, but, you, you know, you don't always see the bigger picture, obviously, when you're a kid. Uh, I went to soccer camp at Auburn three consecutive summers. Uh, those were my first experiences staying away from home other than, you know, staying at my grandparents' house or something. Uh, so, you know, three summers, uh, I spent one week in an Auburn dorm and eating at 
what was the old dining hall? Terrell? Terrell Hall sounds familiar. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that was the first place I watched MTV. Uh, you know, this is back <laughs> when MTV showed videos. So like, um, those three summer weeks informative years are both how I fell in love with 80s music. And I realized more now than I did, that was part of my falling in love with Auburn because I so enjoyed those experiences out in the sun, <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, just uh, riding the van back and forth between the fields and the dorm and, and hanging out with the guys. And uh, you didn't have the same rules at soccer camp as you did at school. Uh, or at home, yeah. And so it was. Uh, it was just a lot of fun, and uh, it's strange to think how um, Auburn soccer program would have been kind of an unthinkable thing at that time. Right. Uh, and now Auburn's uh, soccer program uh, is very successful and has been in the NCAA tournament, and along with several other sports, uh, is part of what. Uh, helps people see that Auburn is more than football, both athletically and otherwise. And so uh, it's a bizarre uh, thing for me uh, sometimes to go to an Auburn soccer game or watch an Auburn soccer game and uh, think how far Auburn has come uh, with regards to soccer. It's interesting that you had that connection, another connection made with Auburn, outside of something that is king and that is football but the what people over across the pond call football right uh, you know and, and it's it's kind of it's interesting that this was what i talk about and everybody's story has those similarities but there's those little bit of unique tissues there uh, that make each person's story a little bit interesting and so you never thought back then that an auburn soccer camp would endear you even more to the school the team the university that you love so much to this day um, but let's talk a little bit more about you becoming an actual Auburn student. Take me back to your time there. When did it start? What were you, where were you going to school for? Those type of aspects. Well, it started in 1995, and I'm fortunate that Auburn was easier to get into at that time. <laughs> uh, Auburn was easier to get into. You know, I took the, the PSAT, and they sent me an application uh, that was filled out. I just had to sign it. And uh, I'm not bragging to say that I did well on the PSAT. I didn't necessarily. My grades were not fantastic, but, uh, but it was easier to get into Auburn at the time. And uh, I had pretty much always assumed uh, that, I would, that I would go to Auburn. And then um, in the, the summer after I graduated high school, I heard some rumors here and there uh, that for the 1995 football season, that Auburn freshmen would not be allowed to purchase student tickets. And I thought, well, uh, that's probably just the kind of thing that people say. You know, right. a rumor got started. You know, that sounds kind of stupid. And uh, then I got to Camp War Eagle, uh, which I think was the first year they had an on-campus Camp War Eagle. Strangely enough, you may not know, I think the first ever Camp War Eagle was the summer before that, and they had it at Lake Martin somewhere. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm asking sure. for trouble, I feel like. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's no kidding. But uh, it was a smaller scale thing. I don't think yeah. all incoming uh, students did it that year. So anyhow, I get to Camp War Eagle and they say, yeah, uh, freshmen are not allowed to buy student football tickets this year. And I said, 
uh, well, you know, when's band auditions? Uh, because band had been my thing in high school, and for various reasons, I had decided not to do it at Auburn. But when they said that I wasn't going to the football game as a student, I said, you know, let me borrow somebody's trumpet. And uh, again, <laughs> the band audition <laughs> was much simpler then. Uh, if I understand correctly from what I've seen on Twitter recently, to, to get into the Auburn band now uh, is a multi-day audition. Mm -hmm. Seriously, you know, they, they get you out there, put a number on you like a, like a race bib and watch you march. You know, uh, <laughs> my audition for the Auburn band, I sat down in a chair across from Johnny Vinson and sight read two or three things. And he said, we'd love to have you in the Auburn band. And <laughs> wow, uh, just like that. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I don't know if a guy, my skill level uh, could get into the Auburn band these days. It's, it's a, it's a more upper echelon uh, group now, but uh, so, yeah, so, so I did, uh, I only did one year of band, uh, which is something that I regret sometimes, but uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, you know how um, social life is in college and uh, frankly, my social skills were lagging a little bit. And uh, I just I didn't make any friends in band, unfortunately. And then after the football season, I, I managed to make some friends who were not in band. The next year comes around. I want to go to the football games with my friends, of course. Uh, so I didn't do any more band. And, I, and I've regretted that uh, at times. But, uh, but I am thankful uh, not to be a perpetual rat. You know, anyone who's uh, familiar with the Auburn band knows that that when you're a rookie uh, in the Auburn band, you're, you're called a rat and that you remain a rat until the next time Auburn beats Alabama. And so fortunately, uh, Auburn did beat Alabama in 1995. I guess that would have been uh, just the third uh, Alabama game played at Jordan-Hare Stadium, I guess. That's about right, timeline-wise. Yeah. And, uh, and fortunately, pretty sure that uh, Patrick Nix was the quarterback that year and uh and they got the job done and so I'm not a perpetual rat I'm thankful for that you know I had not heard that story I do have a couple of family connections to the Auburn uh, University marching band I am not blessed with any musical talent so you are still miles ahead of me sir <laughs> in terms of uh let me just put it to you this way I did marching band one year in high school I held the trumpet I didn't play the trumpet right. I was the best marcher out there but I, I couldn't play a lick of music. <laughs> so. Well, well I, I hear some of that happens with the alumni band now, that you have people who haven't picked up their instrument in a while. And so, uh, you know, they're holding the instrument for the alumni band performance. Eh, there's some of that going on. But, but I, I did alumni band a couple of years ago, and, uh, yeah, there were some guys who still have it, for sure. Right. And gals. Could you imagine, though, you brought up the rat thing with you're that a rat until you beat Alabama. Could you imagine those 10-year periods of losing to Alabama? And how, how many senior classes is that that would have been rats? I mean, I guess 10, you know. I mean, that's just – and there's probably, what, a group of about three or four in there. I'm trying to do math in my head, which I'm not good at. Sorry, Auburn University degree. That'd be like three or four full classes, I think, at least, that would have had complete rats. I mean, that's just terrible. I try not to think about that era in general, you know, because uh, that would have been uh, that that stretch of nine straight losses 
would have been basically uh, the decade right after my dad graduated from Auburn. And so, uh, yeah, so he experienced that. And, uh, and I, it's, it's interesting, like growing up, um, you know, I heard a lot about Punt Bama Punt. And I, and I had an understanding of what Punt Bama Punt was. And uh, my dad had the little record that they sent out to the alumni club members with the, the radio broadcast of either the fourth quarter or the last 10 minutes, something like that. And so I had this familiarity with Punt Bama Punt. And then I sort of remember Bo over the top. And so I had these two big historical moments in, in my mind for most of my life without thinking that Auburn didn't beat Alabama between those two moments. And so that's, that's, a, uh, that's a bitter thing to think about. And uh, I'm glad that that, that that era is behind us and that now, even in an era where Alabama is having so much success, we have not let them do that. No, we have found a way always to be a thorn in their side and any type of success they have. I think that is one of the true marks of the Auburn story is continually being a a thorn in the side of the Alabama fans. And uh, I'm thankful that we've maintained that throughout here. Uh, What about a little bit more about your college experience? We talked a lot about, you know, there's no truer story of an Auburn fan than doing anything possible to get tickets. And you, sir, did that. (laughs) I don't know that the band feels that that way about that type of story, but Hey, (laughs) whatever it took, you know, to get you into that stadium. I'm, I'm very proud to know that you went to all measures there to make that happen. Uh, What did you study or any other interesting stories from college that you'd like to share? Oh man. Well, I was on, unfortunately on the Baskin Robbins program where I tried 31 different majors and, you know, and, and one day it was just, you know, I sat down and there was, you know, X number of dollars left and X number of credits needed and so I said, you know, how can I get a degree without taking any more accounting? And so uh, that, that did mean a, an operations management a business degree, uh, which I guess has morphed into the supply chain management program or something like that. It was yeah. pretty new when I did it. I think there were five students in my uh, uh, final classes. But, um, yeah, so, um, you know, when I was a student, I was – flipping between various majors, you know, my mother tried to tell me, you should major in journalism uh, because I had this penchant for writing and I had kind of discovered writing as something that I enjoyed in the sixth grade, actually, uh, when I had some writing assignments, but I just, I wasn't seeing the bigger picture and I I didn't know myself very well. It would have made sense uh, for me to either be studying journalism or religion uh, which I, 10 years later, uh, got a second bachelor's in religion and then a master's degree in Old Testament. So I, I kind of got my academic uh, path straightened out a little later. Uh, but, you know, so far student experiences, you know, you said uh, in, in your words that I would do anything to get into the stadium. And that makes me think of something. This also kind of goes along with me not having a very successful conventional social life. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, you know, I had a couple of close friends that I spent a lot of time with, a guy named Sam, a guy named Matt. And, uh, you know, we, you know, sometimes we were running with a a bigger group of people. uh, And then sometimes it was just us. You know, sometimes we had something to do. Most of the time we didn't. Uh, We went to the flush a lot. Um, 
was the the Sani Freeze Two or whatever they called it on Dean Road at the time. <laughs> um, we were in line behind David Housel there one time, which was fun. But uh, but anyway, you know, so I'm saying all this to say we spent a lot of time just kind of trying to entertain ourselves and finding things to do, like on a Friday night or something, because. Again, that's how successful we were socially. But one night we were just driving around. We were just driving around campus. And uh, you know, the campus looked a little different back then. Um, you could drive all the way down Thatch Avenue, uh, you know, past Foy, like basically between Foy and Haley Center and Kitchener. And uh, we were just kind of driving around and we were driving down Thatch and we got to the, the concourse, you know, the pedestrian concourse that runs alongside Haley Center. And we thought, you know, let's just let's just pull the vehicle over there and and see if we can drive down that and see if that's any problem. And and it wasn't. It was no big deal. You know, we we drove down it. And uh, of course, back then you could basically get from there to what was a Haley Center parking lot. It's now the new student building. And I guess having done that, we felt a little emboldened, maybe. And uh, you know, we did something or we attempted something that. I don't think I ever would have attempted just on my own, probably would not have attempted uh, had it been had it been me and one other friend, but you know, there's a certain dynamic sometimes when you have three people, you know, and like each person somehow thinks they can deflect responsibility for whatever's happening onto the other two or something. So we, uh, we made the decision or I was driving, I guess really I made the decision. Um, we saw a gate at the stadium uh, that was just wide open. Uh, it was right there along uh, where the, the student section entrance is. And uh, we just wheeled my car into this gate. And uh, first we made, and I don't know if you could do this now, but um, we made a full lap around the, what I'll call the concession concourse area of Jordan-Hare, you know, under the bleachers. Uh, we made a full lap around inside. This is in a, in a four-door Camry, by the way. And oh then my. we thought, well, you know, we've done this. Uh, why not? You know, and by the way, we were not drinking, just so you know, which I guess is why we felt the need to try to be creative, maybe. Uh, so after we made that lap, we thought, well, let's see if we can drive to the upper deck. And, you know, again, there were three of us. So it's like we're each thinking with a third of a brain, I guess. And so um, we, we drive the Camry up the very first incline of one of the coiled ramps to the upper deck. And we get to the top of that first incline and we realize this turn very tight. I'm working this out of my head right now and it's not working very well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it probably uh, wasn't quite as tight as it looked from the driver's seat. But, you know, I was sitting there thinking about, can I do this? And, you know, it would not have been a three-point turn. It would have been like a 27-point turn. And I was thinking, you know, um, that I don't even know how many turns there are to the top. This is not what I should have been thinking. I should have been thinking, do I really want to get arrested tonight? But, no, I was thinking, like, how can I actually make this happen? And so while we were – and, by the way, this was a manual transmission uh, four-door Camry. So it would have been even more of a hassle to try to do this. Um, now, unfortunately, you know, this was, this must have been either 97 or 98. Um, this was before everyone carried a camera around. I would <laughs> love to have documentation of this. 
I have no corroboration of this meager attempt uh, besides two of my best friends. Uh, but I will say this, when we were sitting there, you know, we've gone up the first little incline, we're sitting there trying to think about whether we can negotiate this hairpin turn. Um, back then, you could also drive between Jordan Hare and Haley Center on what is now, I think, mostly just a pedestrian area that goes along the beside the new student building. But um, then there was a road there, and we looked over there, and on that road, uh, thankfully, we did not see a police officer, uh, but we saw some kind of SUV, like maybe a Ford Explorer or maybe a Suburban, something like that. And they had they had noticed us, and they stopped uh, to watch us to to see what was going to happen next. And nothing happened next, other than I just you know rolled the car back down, and then we exited the stadium. Uh, thankfully, before uh, we faced any consequences for it. Um, but so, but I've always known that there was someone who saw us try to do that. There's whoever was in that Ford Explorer or whatever it was uh, who saw a Camry attempting, they probably thought, they probably thought it was someone so moronic that, that they thought it was something okay to do, or they probably thought it was someone drunk out of their mind actually. But um, I would love to run into someone someday who says like, yeah, no, that was me. I, I saw you being an idiot over there and I was just waiting to see how you got that uh, Camry stuck in the ramp. Josh, you have done it again. Uh, are, <laughs> you know, each time I do an episode in this series, someone gives me a tidbit of information or a story that I just think, well, like, there's nothing can top that. And here we are again, a Camry <laughs> in like, that's, I'm, I'm actually just in my head as you're telling the story, trying to think through how did you possibly maneuver that ramp? I mean, it's, it's a wide ramp in some areas, but that turn though, I mean, you would have had to have been, some fast and furious movie type of stuff to the, I think it was the movie Tokyo drift where they like slide everywhere. I'm envisioning that, but not as fast. And so yeah, that's what it would have taken. It, it would have taken either a smart car. Uh, you know, the person who designed smart car may not have been born at the time. It would have taken either that or, or someone who could drive with, uh, with, with a very particular, uh, I don't know, may, maybe not fast and furious, maybe more like a slow and deliberate skill. I don't know. <laughs> well, there you go. My hope now is that as we continue this series, maybe your episode six, maybe episode 106, we happen to run into the individual that saw you. And then I'm going to be able to connect the docs and say, you need to go back and listen to episode six. And you guys need to start talking because yeah, either that be interesting. you're going to find the guy with a civic that actually did it and got it up there. Like that, that would be interesting. It, you know, we'll, we'll connect the dots. Uh, that'll be our new goal here on this podcast series. If we do that, I will consider my life goals accomplished. Um, wow. Uh, that is a definitely an interesting time at Auburn. Um, I, I, I would imagine there are just as unique stories, but definitely not one with a, a Camry in a open gate to the upper deck of Jordan Stadium. Um, but let's move forward a little bit uh, and we can bounce back to your college if you need to, sure, if you want to tell sure. some more stories, but let's move more closer to the modern era. Uh, you graduate, you move on with life. So kind of, what are you doing now? Where's life taking you and how does Auburn revolve all into that as well? Oh man, I graduated, but did I move on? Um, you know, I, I got a business degree and uh, operations management, and I did work a few jobs uh, or a couple of jobs in manufacturing that were really, you know, what that uh, degree was designed and focused on. 
And, uh, but that, that degree was never a very good choice for me and my personality uh, to begin with. Like I alluded to, kind of settled on it out of desperation, really. <laughs> but I did do that and uh, worked in a later worked in while, you know, just really trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. Uh, worked in banking for a little while, worked in insurance for five years. Uh, everywhere I went, you know, I'm known as the Auburn guy, of course. And uh, that's, I think a lot of people can identify with that uh, throughout your life, because if you grow up in some part of Alabama besides Auburn, uh, or maybe besides some pockets of Montgomery and Huntsville now, uh, you're, you're never going to be in the majority as the Auburn fan. And um, so I, I continued uh, to experience that. And then, um, like I alluded to a moment ago, about uh, 10 years um, out of Auburn, I decided that uh, I was going to try to pursue a career in biblical studies academia. And uh, that, uh, long story short, did not work out fully uh, and that I'm not working in that field right now. I did get a, a master's degree, uh, did not end up getting a PhD. Uh, and so, you know, not a whole lot of jobs, biblical studies, academia, there's not a whole lot of jobs in any liberal arts academia right now, or there's fewer every day, maybe I should say. And so uh, I kind of settled or, or kind of landed uh, in a position uh, in sales for an industrial controls distributorship for a while. And uh, right now I'm, I'm kind of stepping back from that a little bit. And uh, honestly, I, I kind of think of myself as something as a stay-at-home theologian right now. And uh, I'm trying to focus more on my writing and, uh, and hoping uh, that in time, uh, I can make a career either out of that or out of that and uh, related activities. Hey, Auburn fans, I want to take a quick time out from this episode to bring your attention to something very special. Here at the E2C Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best content for Auburn fans out there. And best of all, it's free to you. But just because it's free doesn't mean there aren't costs, especially when you have a library of hundreds of podcasts, videos, blogs, and more. Many of you have reached out and asked how you can support this network in the past. Well, now I have your answer. It's called the E2C Network Booster Club over at patreon.com slash E2C Network. There you'll find a membership monthly reward system where you can sign up for as little as $1 and get different perks at different tiers. Some of those perks include things such as apparel, eligibility to join us on future podcasts, recognition as an E2C network booster, exclusive communications, and bonus content that is available nowhere else. If you love this network and want to help us keep producing podcasts like this one, please head on over to patreon.com slash E2C network to join the E2C network booster club. You can also get there by going to our website, E2Cnetwork.com slash support. Whether you decide to join or not, we are still so appreciative that you would support us by just listening and being here because each and every one of you is part of our E2C network family. Well, that's it. Timeout's over. Let's get back into the episode. You've written a book that's Auburn related that some people may be aware of. Some people may not be. Uh, I want you to share a little bit about that. Orange is our color. And this details a lot about uh, the Tommy Tuberville era of this. So tell me a little bit about that. 
Sure. Uh, as it happened, uh, the Tuberville decade, if you will, is basically the first 10 years after I graduated from Auburn. And uh, it's also, well, it's the decade between graduating and getting married for me. So it was a, a time in my life when I could really make going to football games a priority still. And uh, it was just one of those things. Uh, in, in 2012, I finished uh, the master's degree and uh, did not get into any PhD programs. And so I was kind of wondering, like, you know, what, I'm, what am I going to do? And I was really in this writing mindset because of the research and writing I had done over the last couple of years. And I just got the idea. Um, actually, strangely enough, the initial idea was to write something about the succession of Auburn coaches from uh, Dye and then Bowden, Tuberville, Chiswick, uh, looking at some of the seemingly recurring patterns. Um, they all had some um, unexpected early success, e you know, either in year one, two, or three. Um, you know, of course, you know, basically with Dye, 82 is great, 83 is even better, and then, uh, well, Bowden uh, wins his first 20 games, and so I was thinking about doing that, uh, but then as I was doing the research, and I got to thinking about my experiences um, in the Tuberville decade, because I went to so many games, and I also got to thinking about, you know, these major events that happened, and uh, what I'm referring to is uh, the Jetgate scandal, mm -hmm. and then the 2004 season right after that, and then both of those things happening in the context of the six consecutive wins over Alabama, and so I was thinking about those things, and I was thinking about how it was, um, it was, in some regard, an unprecedented uh, campaign, if you will, to ask Auburn people to wear bright orange to the football games. You know, it was, I mean, when you think about it, of course, you know, Tuberville said, we have to win people on TV. We're not looking just to beat our opponents. We are looking to win support for our program. We are looking to uh, increase our image and our recognition. And the way you do that, way you do that is on TV. And one way is that we want people to see our fan support in the stands. We don't want them wearing navy. We don't want them wearing burnt orange. We want them wearing what I refer to as Tuberville orange. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a brighter orange. Uh, and, and so it was, it was interesting to me, the way that people responded to that. I mean, people responded to that by the tens of thousands, uh, just, you know, it seemed like Tuberville could have told us to wear yellow and black stripes and we would have done it. I mean, people <laughs> just bought every orange t-shirt uh, that they could get their hands on. And so, and then after the Jetgate scandal, uh, the people are still with him. You know, he negotiated that situation. The reason that he stayed and the president and the athletics director left is because of how Tuberville, um, how he communicated and won over the people uh, in the midst of that scandal. And so it was just fascinating to me. And I just decided to get a little deeper into the research and, and turn it into a bigger project. And uh, it is a book that 
in some regards is a fan's memoir. It has a lot of my stories uh, from a decade when I went to a lot of games. There were no more attempts to, to drive to anyone's upper deck, but um, <laughs> there were a lot of miles put in. Uh, I promise you that. And so, uh, so I just tried to, to look at, um, you know, what was, was going on there. And, and one other thing I'd like to say about that book which uh, honestly, I don't think that I've bragged about this enough. Uh, if I can say that, um, I completed that book and it was uh, available. It was it was published in August 2013, and I had put a lot of work into that book. And again, um, August 2013. Think about the 2012 football season, and uh, in the summer of 2013. I decided to end that book um, by talking about how the um, all Auburn, all orange was finally kind of retreating out of the focus so much so that the true blue game, everyone wear Navy, the true blue game for 2013 was the Alabama game. And think about the season that Alabama had in 2012. Yep. I used the last sentence of that book to say, I believe we will win the true blue game. I, I believed that, but I did have some hesitation <laughs> because, because I felt like I'm making all this work I've done hinge on this. If we don't win that game, and who in their right mind would have thought that we would, uh, right. <laughs> that it's going to mar uh, the last 220 pages or whatever it was and so, um, but hey, you know, it worked out. And so I have it in black and white in uh, August of 2013 uh, that I said, uh, you know, Chris Davis would field a short field goal and run it 109 yards. And, and, <laughs> and Auburn wins in the most unbelievable fashion you will ever see. And it, what in an unbelievable fashion it was. And, <laughs> you know, as, as fond as our memories are of that one t- particular game, that moment in Auburn football history, um, Auburn's history in all sports, but most specifically football, is not just defined by one moment. And, and I'm glad that you captured the Tuberville era because for me, that is where my Auburn fandom solidified. And you're right, Tuberville had a way of connecting with the fans and bringing Auburn to prominence out in football but in the eyes of the public. And I remember that, whether it was the Under Armour deal coming during that time. And, you know, (laughs) I can still remember Click Clack, that commercial. (laughs) You know, that sticks with me till this day. Um, (laughs) the, The attitude that he instilled in the Auburn fans and the Auburn family to this day, I think still holds true. So we have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm glad that you chronicled that in your book. So is it still available? Can people still find that book anywhere? Yeah, it's still available. It's it's on Amazon.com. Uh, it's you just search for orange is our color, and uh, or you can search for Josh Dowdy. And uh, strangely enough, um, someone posted a review for it back in April. I think it was the first time in three or four years anyone had posted a new review. And uh, so it's you know it's <laughs> it's got some good stories in it. 
It's got some, some good inside in it. If I had it to do over, it would have fewer downs and distances in it <laughs> um, because, because that information is available elsewhere. But uh, like I said, I had just finished a master's degree and I had this certain sense of, you know, you have to document and, uh, and that kind of thing. But um, sure, you know, a, a lot of people have enjoyed it. And, you know, you mentioned the attitude um, that Tuberville brought. I think it's interesting because when the book came out, I heard uh, from a lot of folks your age, you know, who understood Tuberville uh, in a way that uh, someone just a little older who thinks so highly of Pat Dye um, we we never gave Tuberville a fair shake in a way because he was not Pat Dye. Right. Um, he beat Alabama a bunch of times and uh, he won a lot of games and uh, um, I think he uh, he had a stretch of uh, five seasons where he, he won a total of fifty games. Um, but you know the the attitude, fear the thumb. Yep. You know, like that was for. <laughs> For anyone my age and older, it was like, oh, I can't, I can't believe he did that, you know. But um, he, uh, in a way, uh, he didn't take himself too seriously at times, so that he could say something like "fear of the thumb." And of course, "fear of the thumb" is fine if you make good on it, and he mm -hmm. did. Yeah, it, it was interesting. He got his name Riverboat Gambler uh, early in his coaching days, and I think that held true even at Auburn. Whether it was a trick play or an attitude or something, it, it always came through, and I think that's why we have such fond memories of Tuberville. And I, I like that you brought up, actually, it seems like the generation that comes up with a coach right. appreciates him, but the generation before seems to not appreciate them. I think you see that happening now because to date this podcast yes. a little bit for those that may be listening off in the future, you know, we're in a time where there's a lot of turmoil, not turmoil, I shouldn't say, but disagreements about sure. Coach Malzahn and sure. his way of doing things. And there's a lot of fond memories. I'm not trying to skip over Chiswick, but it's hard to throw him into the equation here because he only had four years. Right. But when you compare it to the Tommy Tuberville, you've got a lot of people that maybe don't have the 100% faith or back behind Malzahn that really look fondly back at Tommy Tuberville. And then yeah. as you brought up Tommy Tuberville, those people look back at Pat Dye. So there's this kind of thing of, oh, the good old days that I'm kind right. of seeing formulate here. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I hope that if you're listening to this as an Auburn family, you'll take that to heart that if you're having issues that you're allowed to have those issues with a coach but certainly you need to remember that sometimes the grass is not always green on the other side and you might be wishing you could have had that back back in the day so i'll get off my my i'm gonna put my <laughs> you know my pew down here yeah, and, and i want to <laughs> say you know i've experienced every emotion and opinion on the spectrum when it comes to malzahn you know i've i've been i've been on both ends i've been on the middle um you know, and then again, you know, I wanted to fire Tuberville after the 1999 Mississippi State game. You know, I can be a moody guy sometimes, be a reactionary <laughs> guy sometimes. But um, you know, uh, if you if you look at some of the parallels uh, between Malzahn's tenure and Tuberville's tenure, um, they both have achieved a similar type of stability. Now, some people would say, "You mean mediocrity?" Well, at times it looks that way. But there is a stability, mm -hmm. and you know, yes. n next year could be Malzahn's 2004, but 
with the postseason we want. Yeah, it all it all could go one way or the other. It's really hard yes. to predict this funny thing that is uh, college football, much less college sports in general. They all have right. a way of sometimes surprising us. Uh, and I think steadiness and stability sometimes is the way to go. That's just my opinion. Again, you're getting me on my soapbox here. I need to put it down. <laughs> this is not my Auburn story. Um, let's let's kind of wrap up maybe before we get into some rapid fire questions with you. But uh, any other Auburn uh, stories or things that you want to share with us that so that people really understand your Auburn roots? Oh man, you know, it's, uh, when I when I think about that, I. I think about how, you know, I grew up in Gadsden, okay? And I know that a lot of people can relate to this all over the state. The people that you knew who were Auburn people had a connection to Auburn. And that connection was usually a family connection. The people you knew who were Alabama people had a connection to Jacksonville State. You know, and I, I don't even mean that as a cut, certainly don't mean it as a cut to Jacksonville State. I just mean that um, when people talk about the Auburn family, it comes from family. And, you know, that it's something that, that I look back on and, and I understand, appreciate so much more now. And that's not to say that you had to go to Auburn or have a daddy or granddaddy who went to Auburn to be in the Auburn family because it's bigger than that. And it's the values. You know, when Dr. Petrie wrote the creed, he wasn't laying out a vision that he wanted Auburn people to take on. He was trying to describe the Auburn people as he already knew them. And there are, you know, the Auburn family includes people without connections to Auburn who have connections to those values. And so um, that is something that, um, that I have invested in mentally, probably more than I recommend, but it's, it, that, that's a part of my Auburn roots is that, you know, when you think about the first part of the creed, which we've probably overemphasized uh, to the neglect of the rest of the creed, but the belief um, that you can only count on what you earn in a practical world, and therefore you believe in work, hard work, um, saw that in my dad. You know, um, I saw that uh, in what my grandparents, who were not Auburn people, did so that my dad and my mother could have the opportunities that they had, so that I could have the opportunities that I've had. And so I guess I just wanted to say that, that, you know, when when we talk about the Auburn family, um, that is not clever marketing. <laughs> you know, that it comes from family, it comes from the connections, it comes from the shared values. Well, you can have all the interesting marketing tools and phraseology and stuff, but if it doesn't resonate with your marketing area, then right. it's not going to register. And the fact that we're able to, quote unquote, market it is because it's such a real tangible yet intangible thing that every Auburn person understands and knows of some way. We may not be able to define it. We may not be able to describe it fully, but right. we understand what you're talking about when you say Auburn family, I'm an Auburn man, I'm an Auburn woman. Um, and uh, Kyle, if you, if you don't mind me uh, hitting a tangent here, because I just another memory that, that everyone uh, from my Auburn years can relate to is that uh, we remember what it was like to be able to show up at Beard Eves a little late 
and sit wherever you wanted. <laughs> and then Chris Porter. And suddenly we're going with the doors open and we're uh, two hours early so that we can get a seat and we sit there for two hours. And uh, that was the bizarre night and day dynamic. But uh, man, that was that was fun to uh, to watch Auburn make a basket, full court press, make the steal, make another basket, just go nuts. Right. You know, just to watch those guys get after it, and uh, and to watch Porter um, and other guys too. Uh, just the displays of athleticism, and to see um, uh, the Auburn spirit come alive and beard eaves in a way that it hadn't in a few years leading up to that. Um, there's, there, there's people who know what I'm talking about, how yeah. that was <laughs> from one year to the next, that was night and day. You know, I have many fond memories, um, wiping the dust off the seats in the upper bowels of beard eaves <laughs> Memorial. And, um, last thing I do want you to plug before we get to your questions sure. is you're coming out with another book. Now that book is not completely Auburn related, but it does have Auburn ties. Uh, and that book is um, True to the Story, Southern Reflections with Gospel Connections. And we've talked a little bit about your time uh, stubbly, studying the Bible and uh, things of that nature. And I think that's the great thing about the Auburn experience is it ties yourself and Auburn together. And I think you're doing that with this book. Yeah. So over the last year, I had the opportunity to give uh, devotionals at nursing homes uh, as part of a ministry that's conducted by my parents' church. And so what I decided to do was to take those devotionals, and they are all um, stories from my life, and then uh, connected uh, to some biblical narrative or biblical principle for a lesson. And so I really worked uh, to overhaul those devotionals and take them from spoken context uh, to more reader-friendly essays. And so uh, it's a lot, there's a lot of stories about family uh, and about connections and about misadventures of various kinds. Uh, when, I, when I think about one of the examples, uh, and with, with all these stories, it's tough to tease any of them without spoiling them. Uh, but I'll let you know that uh, one of them is about a hunting trip where there was a miscommunication about <laughs> water moccasins. Now... <laughs> It's not something that you, you don't want to miscommunicate about that <laughs> where the water moccasin is. So, uh, but it's actually 20 stories and uh, two of them uh, take place at Auburn football games. And uh, one of them takes place at the Auburn soccer camp uh, that I mentioned earlier. And uh, the other one uh, is about um, a finish on the 55 K in Auburn. Uh, so uh, there will be, um, well, I, I think for, for everyone, the stories are going to have a lot of familiar scenes and a lot of relatable dynamics, uh, but uh, for Auburn people, even more so, uh, those four stories um, are going to be, you know, I don't, it, it's not an Auburn book, and the book is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what I'm trying to to get through, you know, Christ lived, died, resurrected, for our forgiveness and justification. That's what I'm going at in the book. But in the stories that has something to do with Auburn, I don't try to hide that I'm an Auburn guy. Okay. So, you know, cause you know, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be transparent. So I didn't, you know, I didn't try to cater to anyone's uh, sensitivities about that. Um, but so it's, it's a book that I'm really hopeful 
uh, that, that a lot of people will enjoy and that Auburn people may enjoy even more so. Um, you know, the, the best way to look out for it is uh, look out for me on Twitter at Heart of Auburn uh, or on Facebook.com slash Heart of Auburn. And I'm hoping that book will be uh, ready by uh, in just a couple of weeks, maybe, you know, uh, mid-June, I'm hoping. Yeah. So whether you're uh, listening to this in recent times and knowing when to be looking out for that, or you're listening to this several months or maybe years from now, just make sure you check out that book that he has coming out. True the story, Southern Reflections with Gospel Connections, and also his other book, Orange is Our Color. So Josh, we talked a lot about your stories, talked a lot about you driving the car up into the upper deck. We've talked <laughs> everything in between here. Now I want to get down to the nitty gritty of this, and that is where I give you uh, some rapid fire questions, which we have unfortunately had to now, not unfortunately, I shouldn't say that, fortunately had to call it not so rapid fire, rapid fire questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to take too long on any one question. I, you know, look, if you need to explain yourself, that is perfectly fine. <laughs> that is permitted in this. I j the main thing is I do just need an answer for each one of those because I, I will push okay. you on that. So there are 12 questions. So we're going to get through them and uh, let's see what you have to say. So question number one orange or blue oh blue man i wear I, i'm i'm wearing navy right now i've uh you know uh dyed in the wool you know i mean coach die um I, yeah blue even after writing a book heralding tommy tuberville <laughs> you're still not gonna pick orange people would show up at the book signings and i'd be wearing a, a navy uh shirt and they'd say what are you doing <laughs> my goodness uh question number two Aubie or War Eagle? <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, War Eagle is how you say the creed in two words. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, Aubie is first. There you go. You, you are now safe from the minions of Aubie. There are several others who are not safe from that who have answered this question. But I think you and Sherry are safe for now. Yeah. Uh, question number three. The Auburn fight song or glory to all Auburn? Oh, the fight song. Question number four, your favorite Auburn athletics program? Oh, man. Um, I, I, I have to say football because um, it's uh, because the, the background, because the history for me personally goes yeah. back so far. And, and that's the thing is I think some people sometimes feel ashamed of that because they want to <laughs> feel more, more rounded, but don't be ashamed if it's football. Football is king. Hey, you know what? From, you know, you ask my kids in 20 years, they might have a different answer. Hey, the way basketball is going right now, we, <laughs> we, may be, we may be looking back and say, what was football again? Yeah. Uh, question five, your favorite Auburn athlete? Oh, man. Um, my favorite Auburn athlete. Um, you know, th this, this, is, this is a question um, that I might answer differently every day that you ask me okay yeah. um right now i'm gonna say carnell williams uh, you know <laughs> i'm i'm saying that um without getting into it let's just say because of the context in which he chose auburn i love it carnell williams is very important for me and so you have scored some points okay. uh, with me on that answer there your favorite Auburn quote coach is a question number six. <laughs> that's Pat Dye. I mean, that's, um, uh, you know, if, if I was going to plug other books, I would say in the arena and after the arena, it's weird to me that 
that more people don't read Coach Ty's books. I mean, the, there, there's a lot of insight there. And, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, we came home from church, we ate lunch, and then we watched the Auburn Football Review with head coach Pat Dye. And um, pretty, pretty big influence on me. Question number seven, your favorite Auburn non-athletics person, it can be a celebrity, it can be a family member, someone that wasn't associated directly with the athletics programs. Oh man, because some of the people that you, uh, that you think of, you, you think for another second and you remember they also had an athletics uh, connection. You know, because when you when you asked this question, the first person I thought of was George Petrie. And, and, and well, you know, he was the first football coach, so that doesn't really work out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I'm I'm going out. Well, you know, here's here's what I'm going to say. A guy uh, who I have not agreed with on everything. I do not agree with him on everything uh, currently. And he has, in the eyes of some, been an opponent of uh, Auburn athletics. Um, but Wayne Flint okay. uh, is a guy uh, with uh, certain commitments to historiography, uh, certain commitments uh, to the church. And those are both areas in which I don't agree with him on everything. Um, but if you read his book, uh, Keeping the Faith, um, he is a guy um, who uh, who is clear about his convictions and I think generally stands by his convictions. And so I think there are ways in which uh, he personifies um, uh, the values, the Auburn values that we've been talking about. So I'm going to say Wayne Flint. And I think that's what most people go back to when they answer this question is how they embody the creed or in whatever way they, they do that. And so that's a great answer there. So I love that one. It's a new one for me. Uh, question number eight, your favorite Auburn building? Oh, not Haley Center. <laughs> <laughs> you are not the first person to start their answer with that statement. <laughs> uh, my, my appreciation of architecture teacher said, you know, uh, brick, glass, carpet, you can use these things thoughtfully and create magic. <laughs> you can use them otherwise and create Haley Center. Uh, um yeah, my my favorite Auburn building um, right now, man, what would that be? Um, you know, I'm gonna say Langdon Hall. That's a that's um, a new answer for me. You know, because it's so old, and because of the history it has, and because of um, you know, I think um, we used to joke about there being asbestos in there. And then they overhauled it for asbestos abatement. And, uh, but you know, the free, the free movie memories. And uh, I think about taking uh, some pictures on the steps after graduation. I'm going to say Lang and plus the seal out in front yeah. of it is so cool. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to say Langdon Hall. That's a great answer. You know, a lot of people forget that, that you can tie the seal into that thing and what that means, whether you choose to step on it or not, and the whole myths and legends <laughs> that tie into it. Don't step on the seal. Why would you do that? Look, this, I, seal. I, just a little bit about me. I can't, I still can't do it. Like, that's the no. thing is people want to step on it after they graduate. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, literally, I have literally oh, done fine. a flip to avoid it before. Oh, man, and you don't have to be superstitious not to step on the seal. Just don't step on the seal. Just go around. Make a, make a wide circle. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Uh, question number nine, your favorite Auburn place to eat? 
Oh, you know, I catch some grief about this because it's, um, it's a chain <laughs> of sorts. Uh, man, I love Mellow Mushroom. Uh, when I'm, yeah, I mean, I always have a good time there and, and I love pizza and I love Mellow Mushroom pizza. That's my favorite. I mean, um, you know, I, I like Mama G's. I've had a lot of Mama G's and, uh, you know, Amsterdam used to be more casual back in my day and I, and I like Amsterdam, but I'm going to go with Mellow Mushroom. Well, the thing that's so great about even a chain restaurant is because of its location in Auburn, being the heart of downtown, and kind of just the, the again, it's the feel of that particular location. Yeah, what see, makes I don't it so eat special. It any other mel- I don't eat it any right. other mellow mushroom. I wouldn't want to because it's not the Auburn mellow mushroom. Right, and you can't look outside and see the I call it hustle. It's hustle and bustle for what what Auburn is. Uh, exactly. People going by in downtown and just kind of think, you know, what what are they up to there? Are they going to Tumor's Corner to get some lemonade? Are they leaving some athletic event I didn't know was going on? Right. <laughs> so, there's great ways to tie that in there, even though it's a chain. Number 10, your favorite Auburn tradition. Now, this can be sports or non-sports, whatever that Auburn tradition is your favorite. You know, right now, and this is, this is a strange answer in a way, um, because it's a tradition that didn't start until I was out of school. And the first time I saw it, I hadn't heard about it and didn't know it was going to happen. The Eagle Flight. Dude, the Eagle Flight, we may take it for granted. That is so awesome. And uh, there's a reason why, much like Tiger Walk, everyone else wants to mimic it however they can. But um, I think I went... You know, like the first time they flew the Eagle, they just flew it from like the uh, the end zone to midfield or something. Right. And this was, you know, before Twitter and I somehow didn't hear about it. And then I think I was at the first game uh, when she actually flew uh, from the upper deck. And I, I just couldn't believe it because I'd seen the Eagle all my life, always on someone's arm or in the netting uh, out in front of Haley Center where the green space used to be. When, when they flew the Eagle, that blew my mind. It's, it's so unique and completely Auburn at the same it's time. It's beautiful. It is one of the most highly envied, as much as people don't want to admit it sometimes, highly envied traditions in all of college athletics. Question 11, your favorite Auburn memory. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Go, I got a lot of Auburn memories. Um, my favorite Auburn memory. Um, well, um, this is uh, this is this is going to sound like I'm giving the right answer instead of the true answer, but I'm giving you the true answer. Uh, my wife, who did not go to Auburn, uh, agreed to marry me, and and agreed to having the wedding in Auburn. Uh, So we had our uh, wedding at um, the Founders Chapel of Auburn United Methodist Church, uh, which if you're not familiar, that's at the intersection of uh, Magnolia and Gay. um, And it's, it's a, it is a beautiful, quaint building. And um, in, so in a formal sense, that is where our life together and our family, our Auburn family started. And that is my favorite Auburn memory. That is the 100% right answer. I don't think there was, a, there was one you could give other than that if you wanted to, <laughs> you know, have a, a good night. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have checked that box off there, sir. But right. it, it's still a beautiful Auburn memory there. <laughs> I, I mean, you. seriously, it, it, the fact that you can tie 
such an important part of your life into that your Auburn fandom I think that's that's uh, it tells you it tells you something about what my wife has to put up with oh uh, well, you know they they love us no matter what I, I'm yeah. sure of that <laughs> your final question might be your hardest may, may, maybe not describe Auburn in one word integrity that is a great one I never thought anybody would give me could you give me just a little bit about why you say that we are not perfect we are all humans um we uh we have a drive to win we have a drive to be the best that maybe in moments gets the best of us that happens to all true competitors um but there is a foundation of shared values uh, in the auburn family that says uh, if you cannot do it and this goes for athletics academics um life in general if you cannot do it with integrity it is worthless and so that's the word that i would choose that is a great word uh to add to the dictionary of describing auburn uh it's one that i don't think gets used enough and i agree completely with your reasoning for it so thank you for sharing your answers to all of those i know some of those were difficult some of them were not i think that's the great thing about telling your story beforehand it kind of prepares you for some of those questions because you already kind of have answered them but it gives you a chance to set your mark and say this is i choose obby i choose orange or blue i choose this yeah, place <laughs> now now i'm on the record and now now that was in a way that was more challenging uh, than i thought it might be but it was a lot of fun so I'm glad that you uh, had fun with it. I enjoyed hearing your answers. I enjoyed most of all hearing your Auburn roots from childhood uh, to driving in a car into the stadium towards the upper deck <laughs> to leaving Auburn, uh, taking on biblical studies for a time to writing a book to getting married, everything in between. It's been a great journey with you through your Auburn roots. And I know that those roots are going to continue to extend out and your story is going to continue on even past our conversation here. But thank you so much for sharing it with me. Thank you for, for talking with me, Kyle. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm a embarrassingly blessed person. Um, I, and, um, and part of that is my Auburn roots and, and how deep they run. And we hope to hear from more of you out there that want to share your Auburn roots and your Auburn stories. Thank you, Josh and War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing, that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you?